Welcome back to another episode of Bird Bros. It has been a long time. I think the last time we recorded was after the win over the Broncos. And uh, now the fellas, we all decided to get back together, put the band back together and record an episode after the Super Bowl, the improbable run that the Falcons made and uh, the loss. And we'll talk about a little bit of everything, but uh, solemn hello to all you guys. How y'all doing tonight? Good, man. Good to be back on the podcast, I guess. <laughs> doing all right, man. How y'all doing? And hanging in there. Got to get it out. We're going to get it out tonight. Yeah, so so this episode will serve as, I don't know, I mean, I guess some type of uh, emotional release. We'll talk a little bit about the season, talk about the game itself and where the Falcons go from here and just uh, a little bit of everything. I mean, we got some some good um, good things coming up that we'll talk about. And I guess first off, I got to give a shout-out to A.V. He uh, wrote a little piece about the game on uh, F-T-E-S-W-L from eastsidewithlove.com. Some of our bros from over at thekali.com, they got their own podcast and website, and he, he kind of gave a recap of the uh, Falcons game, the Super Bowl, and the loss and everything. So, to kind of start off this first segment, we're just gonna gonna just talk about how we feel about the game. Not even uh not even breaking down, not oh we ran the we didn't run the ball enough or blame it on whoever. But just what are your feelings? Just raw emotion. Like I'll let A V start off and and also uh I guess we'll go A V A D and then Trent. Kind of give us the uh feeling down in Atlanta, how you guys feel, how you felt after the game and just just everything. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Appreciate it, man. And, and you know, first off, big shout out to um to the guys over there. Like you said, with, uh, from the East Side, would love. They had reached out to me. Um, Linus Caldwell with the Kali had reached out to me to do a piece. Uh, it actually wasn't the first time that he had reached out, but um, you know, he reached out right after the Super Bowl and was like, "I know this is kind of a weird time, you know, you being a Falcon fan and all, but how would you feel to do um, do a piece about the Super Bowl?" So I thought about it. Um, but I felt like I, I did want to write something um, kind of about how not only I was feeling, but kind of how the city uh, felt as well. So uh, for everybody out there listening, it's called A-Town Stomp, um, an Atlanta perspective on a super uh, collapse. So it's on the website uh, right now on F-T-E-W-S-L.com. But, um, but yeah, just like everybody else, um, I mean, I was stunned, heartbroken, sad i mean all those feelings um you know and if you know everybody who's listening to this podcast um i do a lot of social blogging you know again referencing the kali being the main place for a lot of that since a lot of that is message boards a little social media combination of that as well so you know just so you guys know because a lot of people uh obviously i know that you know we're all falcons fans but a lot of them you know obviously know about me and my obsession with the falcons and everything so Right after that game was over, I got literally like a hundred plus <laughs> notifications <laughs> on the website where I mean from people finding old posts where I was talking about how the Falcons are gonna do or talking about their team or people creating, you know, funny threads and quotes and stuff, just all types of things. So, um, you know, some of it was trash, you know, <laughs> some of it I didn't even really acknowledge. Um, but there were funny ones. Like one of them was like file a well-being check report for AV and the rest <laughs> of the fraud cons. <laughs> another one, another one was AVXL on suicide watch. 
And uh, Saints fan who uh, who posted, Little Brotherhood Falcons suffered the biggest choke job in sports history. Um, so, you know, when you have losses like this, I know it's obviously tough uh, for everybody, especially those of us who are so close to and follow it as closely as we do. But um, I don't know, maybe it's just me because I'm weird, but I like actually being able to interact even on days like, you know, uh, Sunday and Monday and even, you know, moving forward because those kind of things I find enjoyment. It kind of helps bring you out of some of the – negativity with the team but um i mean i, I definitely uh I, I guess my form of mourning i'm still kind of stunned um i don't really feel like i had a whole lot of time to be sad because my daughter's birthday was yesterday on, on monday so you know it's kind of like lost but i need to be ready for her so i kind of just accepted it uh put her to sleep and then you know the next day was like hey it's her birthday so i can't really be too sad but yes yeah, a tough loss toughest loss um, I've ever experienced, and I mean, the city is as excited as everybody was the last uh, few weeks leading up to it. Is equally depressed. Um, so it's been tough, but we'll get through it. Yeah, yeah, it was real ugly. I know. Yeah, AV is probably like the biggest champion of the Falcons on, over at the Collie dot com. So yeah, I'm sure. He, I'm sure you got it pretty bad, dog, but. <laughs> it's been, it's we a family, like brotherhood, crazy, brothership, brotherhood, brothership, brotherhood, all of it. <laughs> nah, I mean, AB hit it, you know, on the on the nose. It's, um, I mean, my personal feelings aside, you almost feel bad for the city in the sense of like, you know, you have to be here obviously to to know how people were feeling, and it wasn't. I mean, I love my city, and we get hit a lot for not being great fans and all these other different things, but. Man, that run just from the playoffs through um, the energy in this city was different, man. And it's it, it felt more it felt different than anything I've ever seen. Even the Braves, as crazy as that was, it didn't feel like this felt. So you feel bad for the city just based off of that. Um, so I don't think the sun has come out like legit since Sunday. But um, you know, it hurt. But then at the same time. You know, it's a lot of positive things, and I know we'll get to those. Um, you can't wash this away. It's not going to get washed away until you get over it. So that's a different conversation. Um, but, you know, I feel bad for the city more than anything else. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll get there eventually. But, you know, it would have been something else for the city to get something like that, and we just came up short. Yeah, I think for me, I, I can't say the morning period is over because I feel like it comes and it goes. But at the moment, I think at the moment I'm not really in mourning. I felt like right after the game, I think I actually did the mannequin challenge for 20 minutes. I mean, I couldn't move. <laughs> it was it was rough, and I actually had a super. I hosted a Super Bowl party at my house, so of course I had people at my house and people rubbing. I had Panthers fans at my house and rubbing it in and just laughing and just of course enjoying my morning, but. I just, I mean, this morning process has also, I, I guess I'm able to look at it from a different perspective at times. I'm able to look at it like, okay, we were the, one of the final two teams to play in the Super Bowl, like that, that was playing this season. So I'm able to look at it in different perspectives. At one moment, I'm still mourning like, oh my God, we were 15 minutes away from uh, winning the Super Bowl. And then at the same time, it's like, okay, we had a great, we had a successful season. I mean, we were the best team this year in the NFL. 
we think we came up short, but hey, we had, I mean, you have to be proud of this team. Yeah, of course we we all were going through our in our group me just texting back and forth all throughout the game. I mean, my phone died in the fourth quarter. I, I actually was down in Houston and um, you know, just wanted to drive around, be around the the area in the vicinity, so I pulled up at a sports bar about 10 minutes away from NRG Stadium and and I was real I was just even killed cuz I just I just it's an Atlanta sports fan thing when you just when you think you're going to be there and it's snatched away from you. And uh, just watching that game, man, just and then how everything panned out. I really didn't have any feeling. Like I was telling you all in the group text, man, I was numb. I was just numb at the end of the game. I went ahead and was kind of assertive and sent out all the texts like, damn, bruh. Sent out a lot of bruhs, dams, memes, whatever, to people <laughs> before they could send it to me because I wasn't going to allow people to just harp on me and then you know people call me saying man you okay are you okay i'm like you know it's, i'm i'm hurt a little bit but it's just a football game nobody you know, no close relative passed away or anything but oh man it was it's tough y'all i know it's because we it was so close and then it's hard to get back to the super bowl so hey hell of a season uh just this was a good good little release we talk about it i'm sure people will, will make fun of us but Hey, we, we had a great Super Bowl run. How many I other teams say, can say that? Can I just say one more thing? Damn it, man. We had it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good. All right. Is everybody, I mean, are we ready to move forward? Can we, we've uh, kind of just release our I mean, emotions I think, and spoke? I think, one, I think one thing about it, too, that's really interesting, and, and I think um, I think Trent brought up a really good point. Um, and AD as well with the fact that, you know, a lot of times Atlanta fans get ragged on for not being great fans or not really having, uh, not being like other cities that don't care as much. And I think that point was disproven probably as much as anything over the course of the last month when you look at how, how passionate the fan base was for, uh, the Seattle game, how passionate the fan base was for the Green Bay game. Um, and then even in the aftermath of this loss, I mean, it, it hurts. Like if you walk around and ask anybody, it people are in, in mourning. Like it's almost like somebody died, you know. So people feel that deeply about it, and I don't think people can make the case. Like I saw something on on the Kali, um, and I've seen it in other places too, where people are just like, "Well, I don't know if, if Atlanta fans get it." You know, this opportunity is. It comes once in a life, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I don't know if you get it. The people here in this city, the people who actually care about the Falcons, feel it deeply. Um, and it, 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 it hurts. Um, I would be lying to say that I'm going to be getting over this in the next day or so, but I feel like I've been able to kind of comp- compartmentalize what this was. And for me, and as we go you know, deeper into the conversation tonight, I feel like it was we didn't finish. And – that's a theme with this team, um, even dating back to last season. Um, so I think that there's some things that the Falcons are going to have to look at and address. Um, but overall, going into next year, I'm excited. So I know it was, it was obviously the worst loss you could ever <laughs> hope to have in that kind of situation. But uh, I'm excited about the future. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's still going to be tough for us. Yeah, you know that's... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Eddie. 
quick, because that's a great point. Like, hey, I've never gotten the somebody in whatever city saying, well, you guys don't have great fans when they're not here, which is a whole, you know, that's, that's nonsense in the first place. But to your point, like, the city don't feel like this if you got some sorry-ass fans. And it's still flags on cars today. People are like, I don't right, care. Right. That, that flag, I don't know when the flag's coming down. So, right. um, no, you, that, that's a great point. Like, I've never understood how people can comment on another city and then not be embedded in that city but claim to know what that city is about. But you're right. If um, it, it, They'll never know. But you're right. The energy, and it's not just the energy. Like it wasn't a front runner thing. Like people were like, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna look at this different. We're not gonna, you know, be worried about it. We're gonna beat Seattle. We're gonna beat Green Bay. You know, we're gonna beat New England. So yeah, it, you know, you you're right. In a in a crazy way, this may be a turning point, not just from the outside perception, but the inside perception too. Because this run changed me as a fan as well. Yeah, it, it, it was interesting. Big run. I hate I wasn't really in the city um, for the majority of it. I was uh, back home for a few, few times around a few games. Of course, me and uh, AV went to that preseason game, which was you know not a regular season, but still got to kind of get a look at the team a little bit. But kind of want to segue into to the game itself. AV made a great point about finishing, which is uh, I guess the, I guess how you can describe this team. It came down. We didn't finish even in the most important game of the season of most of these guys careers to this point and of course the first half was strong but looking back at that game there were some things in the first half that really doomed the team throughout the rest of the game and to me that was just uh how the defense was on the field a lot well and even looking back it's not necessarily their uh the offense's fault or whatever for that first half is you know you you get the pick six and then also the fumble recovery and that thing that happening and the defense is on the field a lot and even though you know you win the half what 21 to 3 defense was still out there a lot um Trent do you think when we look back at this game is it I hate to play blame game but somebody has to take the brunt is it a Shanahan thing is it a Quinn thing is it a Matt Ryan is it play calling who is it or what is that one thing that you kind of say this is why we took the L Shoot, for me, it's a Lady Gaga thing. I mean, that halftime. <laughs> <laughs> but the halftime, I sw- I felt like this is an inside joke between us. But I felt like AD during the Green Bay Packers game. It's like, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know it's coming. But no, it just. I mean, I honestly, I felt like the um, it was Shanahan. I mean, he had he came away like the last couple of games, even in the Green Bay games, and um the Seattle Seahawks game, his play calling has became more aggressive. And I don't know if it's more of a, I, I'm doing this type of thing and I can do this. And I'm basically trying to show off or trying to expose, like trying to get more exposure to himself, but he got a little too cute. It's like, let's run the ball. I mean, um, Devontae Freeman had 60, 70 yards rushing in the first, maybe our first series of the game. And, they stopped, we stopped running the ball the second half. So I have to place a lot of that blame on, the, most of that blame on Shanahan, who has actually, I um, applaud him for even stepping up and saying that he, he knew he blew it. Doesn't mean much, but he's, I mean, he confessed. And at the same time, I think 
a lot of it falls on um, Matt Ryan. It's like, I mean, you, yes, Shanahan is making those calls. He has full um, autonomy over the offense. But as the MVP, as Matt Ryan, you should know when to um, call out of some plays or, I mean, you, you should know, you should see what the defense is giving you. For me, I kind of broke it down a couple of different ways. I broke it down really um, thematically. Um, so the themes that I saw in the game that kind of reflected the season, and then I kind of broke it up by my my votes. So <laughs> the guys who really um, were the goats, you know, for making this horrible thing happen. But I broke it down like this. So the first thing, I have some stats I want to throw out there. One, uh, the Falcons were a negative 62-point uh, fourth-quarter def- differential on the season. So, again, you know, as I had alluded to a little earlier, Falcons struggled to finish all season. Um, they was the only quarter of the season the Falcons had a negative point differential. Um, the Patriots ran 93 offensive snaps to the Falcons' 42, I mean 46. So, you know, I know we talked a lot about the poor play calling, and we saw the impact that had on the other side of the ball because, you know, first half, those guys were flying around. They were fresh. Um they looked like the defense we had seen the last few weeks of the season, but then in that second half, not being able to get off the field. I mean, those guys played 40 minutes, um, which is a lifetime in a game. Um, so the defense was definitely fatigued. Um, we talked about, um, you know, and this is something that even harks back to last year. You know, I think coming into this, this, this season, there was a lot of focus on Quinn being a better situational coach. The biggest example of that from last season was the San Francisco game on the road where instead of going for the two, he kicked the extra point and thought that he could get the ball back in enough time to maybe get a, uh, a late score with his defense. The move ended up backfiring, and it was a move he actually quoted coming into this season that he needed to be a better coach in that regard. But I think what happened – and this wasn't just on him, but also to Trent's point with Shanahan, poor situational coaching. Falcons running only five running plays after being up 28 to three. So again, situationally, you know, are they thinking long term or is he so stubborn, which we've seen with DQ, that he wants to just do what he wants to do because this is what he believes, but not necessarily within the best interest of the team. Um, some other stats, Falcons one of eight on third down, Patriots were seven to 14. They were more efficient, you know, in addition to having the ball more than us. And then if you think about how the game really turned, it was on some some, some horrible penalties. Um, Falcons nine penalties for 65 yards. Patriots four penalties for only 23 yards. We saw that early in the season um, when the Falcons were still kind of finding themselves, specifically at Tampa game, where they were, the guys were sloppy. That Oakland game, the guys were sloppy. A lot of turnovers, a lot of, not necessarily turnovers, but a lot of penalties. And we saw that rear its ugly head, you know, with the Jake Matthews hold that basically knocks you out of field goal range at the you know end of the game where you needed to get points on the board and couldn't make it happen. So those were some of the things that I saw as far as just from the Falcons from a theme standpoint that came back in the second half. Um, we've already talked, I think, at length about how bad the play calling was from Shanahan. But some of the mistakes that the team made, including Matt Ryan, including the pass protection, uh, including Freeman, who missed the key block that led to that fumble um, that the Patriots got that allowed them to get back in the game. There were some definite lowlights from a lot of people. Everybody owns this L. It wasn't just on one guy, but that's kind of how I looked at it when trying to assess, you know what I'm saying, what really happened in the game. 
Also, that yeah. Edelman catch was was a was a big turning yeah. point when you got three guys around him and somehow, because I sent that text to you, I was like, we just got Tyreed, and then that yeah. that play right there was like just not meant, it's not meant, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And, and you know, of course, Brady was rolling at that point. Yeah, game of inches, literally. I mean, that that ball was what one two inches from hitting the ground. And it looked like even when the ball was at its at its closest, it was going to hit the ground. And he still was able just to snap it up right before it hit the ground. So, uh, unbelievable catch by him. But you know it, that was Quinn one of those for... destiny shots. Yeah. Did, did you all blame Quinn for challenging that one? Because that time, not having that timeout kind of hurt later. You have to. I, 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 I feel like that's. I feel like you can. At first, I kind of gave him a pass, but then I thought about it um, later on when, when when looking at the game. That's got to be one where the coaches upstairs got to be like, "Hey, hey, coach, he just made a great catch. Don't challenge it. It's it's too close. It looks like it's going to be upheld." That was tough not to have a timeout, Matt Ryan, when they got the ball back in the game, 57 seconds. If he has a timeout, I feel like the game could have been won by us to end it. Not having that timeout hurt us so. I can understand the criticism on that. It, it was like, and really him challenging that was just like everything that happened in that fourth quarter. You're just grasping. They were trying to find something. And, you know, and probably from his standpoint, it was hoping you got a call. It was probably trying to get a, in a weird way, get another timeout without having to call a timeout just to try and figure something out. So it's just a no-win situation right there either way. Yeah, tough, tough, especially with things. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I think that that was obviously shown in the second half is our co- like the it was funny because going into the game, I think the conversation was the lack of experience that our players had. But in the second half, it was definitely the lack of experience our coaching our coaches actually had because the moment was just too big for Shanahan. The moment was at times too big for Dan Quinn. That was evident. It, our, our players. I don't think the moment was ever too big for the players. Funny you say that because I was, you know, I heard a lot of that talk too, which I, and it almost to me kind of felt like a political debate. Do you want the candidate with the most experience or do you want the change candidate? And it Mm. felt like, you know, everybody was really more so on it. You want the experience. They've been here before. They know how to do this. And I felt like, you know, Dan Quinn, even though he was the change agent, he'd been in three of the last four Super Bowls. And, you know, granted he was in a coordinator role with Seattle, but, this wasn't somebody where this was his first rodeo. He knew the how the preparation needed to go. He had talked about it, you know, as far as how to guide the team and organization going into Super Bowl week. Um, I expected more from him in a situation where he's been in these kind of games that are kind of wacky, that are kind of close. I mean, he's been on both ends. Think about that game against Denver where they blew the Broncos out. Um, or, you know, just a couple of years ago where um, he had that crazy finish um, with Malcolm Butler. So, I felt like it was kind of strange that maybe he wasn't more prepared for how a Super Bowl game can be played, but uh, or coached. But you know, um, we saw that he still had some room to grow in that department. Yeah, I think also Pete Carroll was the head coach, and in Dan Quinn's situation, he didn't have to re- like he he didn't have to focus on anything but the defense. So it was a lot different. But of course, he's had that experience, so you would think that that that's beneficial to some point. Yeah, I, I say it is beneficial, but you still got to think about it. It's his first 
still his first rodeo. I mean, this is your call. These are your decision making things. This is this is your team. So it's a little bit different from being a uh, being DC. Uh, well, let's look at some bright spots. I mean, we've talked about, <laughs> of course. I mean, I, we're gonna hear we're gonna hear all of this stuff for the next six months. They're gonna be uh, memes and you know equating us to the Warriors who had the three one lead and. Uh, Cleveland in, in in baseball in the World Series having a three one lead, all these memes. But um, the good first we got to highlight, of course Julio he he played well stepped up. But uh, Grady Jarrett, that's gonna be a key cog on that D line for the future. And we are we we had an inkling we felt that, but for him to show up big in the Super Bowl with three sacks, if we would have won the game, I think Grady Jarrett probably would have been the MVP. Y'all agree, disagree? I mean, I guess it's it's all hypothetical, but uh, who are your, your more more importantly, who are the bright spots that you saw in this game? I mean, I definitely think Grady. I mean, Grady balled out. I mean, he 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 tied a Super Bowl record, you know, uh, for sacks. So he had a, a fantastic game. I think Robert Alford um, would have definitely, to me, would have been more um, would have been more deserving, just because I feel like that interception changed the course of the game at that time. Uh, you definitely would have had Matt Ryan in the conversation. I mean, he had a he had a perfect passer rating at one point, um, you know, going into the, in the halftime. So, um, I mean, you had a couple of candidates. Um, if Devontae got a few more carries, I think he certainly would have had, you know, outside shot. But, um, yeah, I think those probably would have been uh, my top three guys, you know, been more uh, quarterback-based. But a, uh interception return for a touchdown in the Super Bowl almost always, get someone in that conversation for a Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, and the weird thing about um, Rocky is that he was right there for that second. Like, if well, the Edelman catch wouldn't have existed if he would have had that second interception that actually went through his hands. But um, I guess my MVP, it would have been Deion Jones. And it's... He had a, a very good Super Bowl, but he's had a great season. And that, honestly, he's been, if I look back at, I guess, of course, Matt Ryan is your MVP. This well, is there is the national MVP, but Deion Jones has actually solidified himself as, and became this leader of this defense. So, of course, he had the strip, um, strip of LeGarrette Blunt, and he, he was everywhere on that field. I would have uh, given it to Deion Jones. Well, the funny part is that's who, in the group message, that's who I had as the MVP going into it. So I was looking pretty good in the first half. Uh, <laughs> so you took my thunder trick because that's that's who I think it probably I think to to AB's point, um, all for taking that back probably would have did it just from the way that works. But um, one or two things go differently, and you could have Deion Jones could have been right there as well. And I mean, I think you know for Debo just. His season, I think it's funny too, just thinking about how far he's come from beginning of the uh, of the year, where there were concerns: is he too small? You know, does he is he going to be a sure enough tackler? You know, we know that he's fast, but you know, is he going to be able to match up with some of these bigger tight ends in the league? And I mean, a guy for all the responsibility he has is that Mike linebacker, um, and really, really owning all the communication for the defense. He's he's been outstanding. So uh, his play, um, he leaves a lot to be excited about, um, you know, getting ready for next year, just thinking about how he's going to continue to develop. And, I mean, he's been 
I really think he should have been defensive player, defensive rookie of the year. I mean, you think about the pick six he had. He had a pick six with New Orleans in New Orleans. Um, then he had two more, right? Then he had one in the playoffs against uh, one in Seattle. He had a pick six yeah, at the two, end of that game. And, I mean, he had the, the one against the Rams. I mean, he has a nose for the football. Uh, and Trent, to you and AD's point, um, that sack, I mean, that, that strip of LeGarrette Blunt was huge. I mean, it, it was so huge. It actually made them take LeGarrette Blunt out of the game. Um, you know, for the first part of that game. And even going into the second half. So, I mean, that changed the way they even coached. So uh, he had a tremendous impact, uh, not only in Super Bowl, but for the whole season. Oh, it's funny you um, you said that um, it made them change their coaching because one situation I remember is Bill Belichick actually going for the onside kick in, third, in, th- in the third quarter. When we got that, um, I, I felt 100% that we would win this game because we started panicking. And just that moment, we couldn't. I don't think we did anything with that drive, but that for him to make the decision to actually onside kick because he didn't believe in his defense anymore, like that showed a lot that oh he was in panic mode and we still couldn't pull it out. You know, I had a feeling it was it was gonna be a tough when uh, after they got when they got that first two point conversion. I think it was a direct snap to. Uh, to Deion James Lewis, White. James White, or whoever whoever had got the direct snap, and they when they went down twenty eight twenty, that's when I was like, all right, y'all, it's gonna get ugly, <laughs> it's gonna get close, and you know, lo and behold, that, that was it. So are we are we ready to put the uh, Super Bowl in the rearview mirror, or is there anybody else that has any last words before we put this thing away and and kind of look forward to um, twenty seventeen season and the draft and free agency and all that. I'm ready to move on <laughs> as much as as much as humanly possible. So, <laughs> yeah, I think we're all ready. All right, so let's zip it up, throw it away. At least on this podcast, and maybe in our group text, let's have a let's just say we won't talk about it. It's over. <laughs> let's look forward to 2017. Damn it, man, we had it.